a white woman went to a Zulu church. And of course, she was the only white person there. She was a guest. And they welcomed her in. They translated for her. They made her feel thoroughly at home. The service went for about three hours, however, and it seemed to be broken up by different offerings that were taken at different parts of the service. So they would have a couple of songs and an offering, and then a prayer and then an offering, and then a couple of songs and then an offering, and a sermon and then an offering, and so and so forth. The first offering was for a new church they were building in a neighbouring suburb. And everyone's very excited about this, and the, the bag came past, and she uh, passed it in. She, she contributed to it, this lady. And then the second offering was taken up. It was their regular church offering, which she contributed to. And the third was to the Christians in town who could not afford shoes. And at this point, she ran out of money. And, um, and, and, and then the fourth and the fifth offering came past, and she started to get a little bit annoyed, a little bit ticked off. Uh, by the sixth offering, she was completely fed up. Uh, but it was the final offering of the day, the seventh offering, that caught her off guard when the uh, worship leader stood up and said, to, um, to our final offering today is for petrol money so that our white sister can be driven home the three hours that we need to look after her. Um, at that point, she felt a sense of relief as well as this mixed emotion of where she was. Um, the idea of offerings at that point didn't seem so bad after all. Is money and giving and offerings and stewardship in the church? Well, what you think about them all depends about the perspective that you're in, right? And sometimes we need to change the perspective we're in to take on God's perspective, which is what I want to talk about today. So how do you think about your money and your resources and your finances? And is that the same perspective that God has? The other day, um, I took Zari and to school and Hamish was in the car. And we pulled up outside the school. Um, and we're only a little bit late. But uh, Zari insisted that she climb over Hamish's side to get out of the car, which is probably the safer option. I said, that's fine. But what we didn't realise, what Zari and I didn't realise, is that there's an invisible force field that surrounds Hamish's side and his seat and where his little kingdom is. And that once disrupted... Once that force field is broken through, it triggers a self-destruct mechanism. That takes four seconds to detonate, and when it detonated, it exploded in the most array of sobs and petitioning and um, and crying that we'd heard that morning. Um, and so, so he was just mortified, and I didn't understand what was going on. And so I, I sidled up next to him, and I crouched down, and I was like, hey, just calm down, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? And through through these deep, deep sobs, he says, Dad, that's my side of the car that Zari came through. That's not right. That's not fair. To which I was a little bit confused. I needed to respond with some wisdom, right? Some deep wisdom. And so I said, you know what, Ham? Do you know who this car belongs to? He says, who? I said, that's my car. It's not actually your car. You just get to benefit from it. And, and I said it was okay for Zari to go through that way. And so it's actually okay. Uh, are you okay with that? And he pondered it, just tears streaked cheeks. And then he said, undeniably, no, and burst into tears again. And so as I carried him into school, I realised that my car isn't actually my car at all. It's God's car. God provided that car for me, just like he provided everything else, even the air in my lungs, he has given that to me as a wonderful gift for me to use. And then 
I wondered how many times I'd responded to God the same way Hamish had responded to me. God says, I've given you everything. I want you to enjoy it because it's mine. I've got some wonderful things we can use, use our money and our resources to do. Would you like to be part of that? See, last week we heard about a church who'd taken hold of this opportunity to be part of it with both hands. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth about this church called the Philippian Church, which is also where the book of Philippians features and is connected to. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 5, as we concentrated on last week, I just encourage you to listen to the audio from last week. It's a fascinating story tucked away in scripture. From verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, And now, brothers and sisters, Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, that's the Philippian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their own ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. And as his acclamation builds, it concludes by saying, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. They took what they'd received from God, and then they gave it all back to God, revealing if you give yourselves to God, God will give you to others. If you give yourselves utterly and completely to God, God will give you to other people. God is all about giving. You see, God is a giving God. He forgives. He provides. He protects. He loves. He cares. He's generous. His nature is to bestow himself upon others. When you give yourself to God, God will give you to others to bless others in his name. You need to expect that. It's exciting, right? So so a few months ago, I was meeting with a local business owner. Um, she was a woman, um, obviously, because it's a she. Um, she's not a Christian yet. Uh, and she said something that caught me off guard. She said, she said, you know, you're a giver. She said that to me. And then she said, you guys, meaning you guys, village, church, you are givers. Then she says, I try to be a giver. There's two types of people in this world, you know, givers and takers. I wish there were more givers. She's not yet a Christian, but she's a lot closer to God's kingdom than she realises. But here's what's interesting. That was a few months ago. A few weeks ago, I was speaking with a very different businesswoman in Burley, um, totally unrelated to the first, and also not yet a Christian. And we were talking about ideas and initiatives, and I was encouraging her um, in some of the things she had going. And she said, you know, there are givers and takers. And I said, actually, I do know. No, I, I didn't say that. I just shut up and listen. She says, you are a giver. It's like, oh, two from two, not bad. She says, I try to be a giver. Givers, I want to make the community work, and I only want to work with givers. I've realised I have no time for takers. They just suck you dry. And as I reflected on this, I realised givers enjoy more adventure. Takers just get more of themselves, right? Givers get to experience the unknown of what happens when you contribute to someone or something else and you you create a space by giving something away. There's a space there that God gets to fill because you gave. That's what we discovered last week in the Philippian church. You see, just to recap, the the Jerusalem church, which was was the central church for all the uh, churches in the early church, was in a diabolical state. 
the, the Jews had um, secularized themselves from the Gentile Christians. And so you had these two groups of people in the one church. Um, and the Jews had say we are too good to eat with the Gentiles. The problem was their church service was about eating together. And so you had this church split. The church that was in complete disarray, and as a result, it wasn't giving any money, no one was giving any money, and the church wasn't proclaiming the gospel. It was just a mess. And so Paul goes head to head with the um, Christian leaders in Jerusalem, gets nowhere, and then has this brainwave. If I can convince the Gentile churches to give to the Jerusalem church, which is where the problem is with the Jews, then maybe that breaks and softens the heart of those Christians, and it reunites the church and fixes their financial problem. That they're in. So he goes to the other churches and the Philippian church, they're caught by this vision that it matters just as much in Jerusalem as it matters in Philippi about what the church is like. There were a church, the Philippian church had just had an earthquake, there was a persecution breaking out against the Christians and the taxation was very fierce and yet they gave as much and more than they were able to the Jerusalem church, the larger church that was in disarray, that so that the grace of God and the grace that they extend might reconcile them so that they can preach the gospel. So that's all taken place. And Paul writes then to the church of Philippi. He writes to the Philippians and he shares a little bit more with us about what's happening. So this is Philippians 4, verse 14 to 19. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, then I set out from Macedonia. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you, you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have done and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They heard of Paul's plight to save the church of Jerusalem. They sent Epaphroditus their offering to support the church, but also to support Paul in his ministry. Their hearts were beating in time with God's heart. It was seen in their generosity. They had just taken hold of the heart of Christ and were living out of that space. And Paul, out of all the churches that he's planted, looks at them and goes, yes, you're getting it. And then he says in verse 18, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So, so what fragrance is your life emitting? I was once in a very high church. Um, if you're not sure what low and high means, we're about as low as it gets. This is chilled, relaxed, relational, casual, and the opposite end of the spectrum is very liturgical, very ordered, a lot of rituals and, and traditions. And I was in one of these churches, and I sat halfway down the aisle, right on the aisle seat in case I needed to make a quick getaway. And the priest then got to handle something that really all priests and pastors should get to play with. It was a, um, a metal chain, and on the end of the chain was an um, a incense bowl, uh, this beautiful ornate contraption that he then set fire to and smoke billowed out of it. And as he walked down the aisle, he swung it and chanted. Now, I'm right next to the aisle, and as this thing comes down, I'm, I'm looking at it going, this is pretty cool. And then it, then it got to where I was, and I realized I was in trouble because that, that incense that he was burning was thick. And I started to cough. 
My eyes started to water. It felt like my lungs were burning, and I couldn't stop. And so in the middle of all this, this, this beautiful moment in the church, I'm having a coughing fit. It was terrible. There was haze everywhere. It was, it was not what I would call an acceptable fragrance. Right? To, to where I was at that time. No disrespect to what they do. What they do is what they do. But for me in that moment, I was like, this is not an acceptable fragrance. Does God have the same experience when he looks upon our lives? Is the fragrance from our lives, from our personal holiness, from our generosity and our, our giving, from the way we treat poor to the way we engage in community, the way we worship him, is it acceptable fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, or is it not? See, this is Paul's nod to the sacrificial system that people would have understood in that culture, regardless of your religious affiliation, whether you're a Gentile or Jew or, or something else. Um, people would sacrifice animals constantly. They would cut their throat, they would put them on the altar, they would set fire to them, and that, that was just the done thing. And some of these temples that happened in were very, very grand and spectacular, and others were kind of makeshift on the street corner. But the sacrifice was always presented, its throat cut, um, it was set fire to, and the smoke and the smell and the fire and the spirit of that animal was understood to be an offering to the gods as it kind of wafted up into the air, right? The sacrifice was of the animal's life. It was a hefty sacrifice for the animal. It was also a sacrifice for the owner of that animal who brought it to them, unblemished usually, the firstborn, the most precious. Um, and and as a result, the, the, the fragrance and aroma would would be pleasing, they hope, to the God as well as to those sitting around. You've all been into a house. I, I hope you've been into a house or a home or, or you've had or a restaurant maybe. And if you haven't, we should remedy this. Um, where someone's cooking a roast and you walk in the door and they're just the smell engulfs you. And you're like, oh, this is going to taste so good. Starting to, to salivate, it makes us hungry, and, and like if you're a little bit hungry, like oh, I need to eat it now, and you're you're just gripped and in in enwrapped in, in by this thankfulness and gratitude for the work that's going to be that's been done, the sacrifice that's been made, and the experience that you're about to have. This was the offering that people desired their gods to experience when they sacrificed. But in the New Testament, things had changed. Jesus had become that sacrifice. And those who accept Christ's sacrifice for themselves, even now today, no longer need to make a sacrifice for their sins. See, nothing more was needed. No one needs to give anything. We are not saved by anything we do. We are saved by the fact that a sacrifice our lives should have been given for was taken care of by another. So when we give back, it's not to earn anything from God or to repay God in any way, it's done out of a gratitude to God. So when we give, because we love what God is doing and has done, it takes on the same fragrance as those original sacrificial offerings. A wonderful fragrance in the nostrils of God, because it signifies our response of sacrifice to God's sacrifice for us. Not to save ourselves, but to love God. And that is the fragrance that's pleasing to God. Fragrance is powerful, right? You have a, have a, you smell something and you're just transported back to a moment in time where you first smelt that or it was significant. You know when you walk into those massive department stores, and guys, you'll relate to this, you enter into the wrong door and you find yourselves in the perfume section. 
right? You know that experience. Um, the the only other worst door, the single worst door, is into the women's underwear section. Yeah. Mm. So so and your senses are flooded with fragrance in the perfume section, not in the underwear section. Um, and then women with tester bottles are just throwing themselves at you in an attempt to make you smell weird, just to say you obviously don't smell good enough here. Have some of this. You want to come and try. Um, and, and, and as you, you reflect on this, you're like, there are so many beautiful fragrances in this space. This is as stressful as it is for a guy. I'm sure women love just to go there and just run around and wave their wrists and necks at people just to, to smell better and better. Uh, it, is that how God sees the parts, different parts of our lives? Full of beautiful fragrance. Is that how your home smells to God? Are you using your home and what God has given you for the things God wants? Is that how your budget smells to God? Is that how your response to the poor smells to God? Is that how your care for each other smells to God? Is that how your inclusion of those excluded smells to God? Is that how your giving smells to God? See, what we need to understand is the fragrance is received as pleasing, not because of what you gave or how much you gave or even to whom, The fragrance is pleasing because the sacrifice with which you gave was about realising that what you have is God's anyway. That's what pleases God's. When you go, ah, you have everything of mine, God. You gave me everything. And now let me use it in line with why you gave it to me. You see, everything the village has and is, is actually God's. Um, it's no surprise, right? So I thought I might update you um, on where we're at financially and, and everything else, just so we're all on the same page, right? I thought this might be really helpful for people who might find it really interesting. So we have tried to steward the, the things God has given us in the most God-honouring way. And to my best calculations, close to half of all the money that comes into village is stewarded to ministry and presence outside of the church with the intent to connect people with Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to connect people with, to Jesus, with Jesus, and that is um, that over, over half of everything we do and everything we are gets pushed into that space. Now, three years ago, Village started with 30 of us, and we grew to about 50, but as with church plants, people move on for a variety of reasons. So now we currently have 35 team members. We have also have about 20 children. We have a few young people. We maybe have 20 others who regularly call Village uh, part of their worshipping life. They, they regularly come here. And I think we then have another uh, 100 connections in Burley that we would deem are relationships that God is at work in. And, and we see people at different events we have and different expressions we have and different small groups, and sometimes here on Sundays. So they're not regular, but they're definitely connected. Now, the most important factor, we've seen eight people saved. That is where that is where they've stepped into genuine relationship with Jesus. They've put their trust in him, eight people. That is wonderful, but it is also not enough. See, God has put us here so that people will come to know Jesus Christ. That's our primary goal. It's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's our central calling. That's absolutely imperative that we do that. And so we really need to increase that. We really need to each take responsibility and ownership. For this, but eight is still wonderful. Now, when we first came together, we pledged and gave them enough money that it meant we had a surplus of $45,000 in the bank. 
We had that plus a small grant from the presbytery, and, and that was the sum total of everything we began with. And the surplus was 45, and now three years later it's down to 22. So that's because the relocating of people, um, and, and as I shared before, people have moved on, and with them their giving moves. But it should be said, this is pretty much unheard of, that a new church plant, from day one, starting with nothing but the people who were committed, could be financially sustainable. It's virtually unheard of. It's just amazing. You guys, who are village, are ridiculously generous. So generous. Now, giving is done mostly via direct debit. We never ask for an offering from those who come, because biblically the church supported the mission of God, as opposed to the mission of God supporting the presence of the church. We want to bless people who are yet to believe, instead of asking them to help keep the church afloat. And if you're here last week, or you heard the podcast this week, you would recall me referring to and talking about a restaurant called Printworks, which which his slogan is, we are 100% employee owned. And basically the owners sold their shares so that the employees could buy those shares and increase their ownership both financially but also, also um, uh, emotionally and, um, and their investment in the um, company. The same is true for Village. And being on team, we talk about team a lot, being on team is the way to make the most of that ownership, to be part of shaping what this church is like to contribute to what God has given you to edify his body, which means giving. So everybody on team gives. Everybody who came on team made the commitment to, they have I don't check it, but they said they were gonna like so it happens. People give and as a result we get to do what we do as village. So being on team absolutely means you invest financially but also emotionally and physically and spiritually and theologically in what God wants to do in Burley and beyond. And then the letter you can pick up today, or perhaps you got it last week, or we can email it out if you'd like to, if you're listening to this and you'd like to, to have it. And you can see in detail uh, the different ways you can tr- contribute. And so one is through looking at what you give on a regular basis and committing and starting to invest in that. And then the second is investing something over and above. And that's what the letter deals with greatly in contributing to some significant changes we want to see in this place. It just outlines them all and what it looks like and how much they cost and how we might go about doing that and different stages and so on and so forth. Because we want to create the most optimal environment for people to come and enjoy hearing the God, the love God has for them and respond to that. That's what was behind the Philippian church in giving this incredible generous donation to Jerusalem church to support the preaching of the gospel. Now this week something really beautiful and amazing took place. I am. Um, I received a text message from a church plant down in Seymour. And Seymour may ring a bell to you. It's where I did my first ministry. I think spent five years there as my first placement as an ordained minister. And and after me, uh, there was different leadership that took place and so on and so forth. And the church ended up uh, being unsustainable in a variety of ways. And because of that, um, the uh, uh, a lot of people left and were hurt. And it's sort of a faithful remnant stepped aside and they started this beautiful new community called Reach Out Seymour. And their whole purpose is to reach out to the people in Seymour who need the love of God and to, to bless and care. They're a small church plant. Right, and I've kind of had a little bit to do with them, and um, sort of walked with them just a little bit over the last few years, um, and just they're they're just 
they're a beautiful group of people. Now, if you've ever done ministry in sort of rural places, there's 6,000 people in Seymour. It kind of feels like everyone's made up their mind about God. It's hard work, right? And, um, and, and so they text me to say that they would love to give $1,000 to Village for the challenges and the things that we're moving into and we're doing. And I think they got that information through a prayer email that we sent out. I mean, that's so beautiful, right? It's like the Philippian church. It's like, how much can we give? Okay, let's give a bit more. It was, it's just so generous. It's so beautiful. And their, their pastor at the moment, a guy, a man called Guy Williams, um, has just been diagnosed with cancer. And so he's actually not able to minister to them at the moment. And so I would just implore you to pray for Guy and to, um, to uphold him, to, to think, and we'll, we'll pray for him um, today. But how beautiful is that? I was speechless. I'm like, how do you respond to that? That is so, so kind and so generous and just the grace of, of that gesture. And when I said thanks, um, their response was to say this, we are so blessed to be in a position to bless you. That was their response. And as the Apostle Paul said, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And so may the fragrance of our lives be as sweet.